0: Hello, and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. Good morning, Life Changes Church. Again, my name is Andy. Uh, I'm really honored to be here today. Uh, I'm with a team again, from California, a couple of peeps. Uh, Josh, you just met. Uh, we have a couple of ladies here, too, uh, a gal named Hillary. Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. It's fine. Just make me. All right, all right. Uh, a guy named Sarah uh, became a Christian about a year ago in our church, and so she's been jumping into South Africa, sharing her story, which is fun. And uh, we got Paul Fam right here, uh, man, the Myth of Legends, and uh, and his wife Nicole. I don't know where she is, but uh, honestly, we're pumped to be here. Uh, it's a sacrifice for a lot of them to be here, uh, taking time off of work, uh, paying to be here, and they believed in investing in. And churches here, and so we're just so excited to be here and uh, pumped to bless you. But I just want you guys to know it's not just me here, there's a group of people here who are praying for you, care for you. Uh, if you guys have Bibles, turn to First Corinthians chapter 15. And again, we're from San Diego, California, uh, kind of the southern tip of California on the border with Mexico. It's a beautiful space. And, and, and in some ways, I, I think it's a lot like Cape Town in the sense that it is a place with, with picturesque beauty uh, that we can see clearly, Right. Um, coming, looking at the, the mountains and the water, and you can see so much beauty. But at the same time, we know that there's so much brokenness still that God wants to turn into spaces of beauty. And, and San Diego is the same way, and that was a story in my life. Uh, I uh, obviously lead a church now. We planted um, three communities out there, looking at planting another community. Um, but, but prior to that, uh, I, I became a Christian at 19. Uh, prior to being a pastor, I walked into a room just like this where people were singing songs just like this that I didn't really understand. Um, but I just felt uh, this sense that, that God loved me, and a guy got up and preached, A sermon, and I walked in full of uh, anger and lust and pride uh, and guilt and insecurity and um, not really knowing who I was or or what my life was all about. And I walked out really knowing that I had a father who delighted in me and who who sent a son to lay down his life for me. And that began a journey for me of um, really tasting the goodness of Jesus. Uh, And that was a really really fun thing. I ended up becoming a pastor uh, about four years later. And uh, about two years into being a pastor, I actually ended up in a really, really, really dry season, which might not make sense. If you're a new Christian, if you're here uh, and, and you're experiencing this, uh, it might seem kind of crazy. Like, man, Jesus is so amazing. My life before Jesus, um, it, like, like there was times where I enjoyed it, but it didn't last. It wasn't satisfying. Um, but, but, but as I um, uh, got saved, became a pastor, I found myself just working really hard, but missing out on how much God loved me. And I found that I was really, really forgetful. Uh, I actually forgot the gospel. I had turned this beautiful relationship. It's kind of a weird religion where it was about me doing good stuff all the time. And it's beautiful to do good things. But I was doing it because I wanted God to like me, uh, to smile at me. Uh, and I wasn't working in response to his love for me. I was working to, 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 to attain something of his love, to prove myself to people around me. And so, uh, in this passage, we read First Corinthians fifteen. The Apostle Paul uh, writes to some people who are forgetful, in the way that I was forgetful. He says this. He says he's writing to the church, uh, the Corinthian church, a church uh, in modern day uh, Greece, uh, a church that uh, had a lot of brokenness in it, uh, a church where people were coming out of like I don't know what your story was before you met Jesus, or if you haven't met Jesus, but uh, there were a group of people they they weren't coming out of sleeping with their boyfriend; they were coming out of like orgies. <laughs> right? It's kind of a messed up uh, uh, situation. And so they're getting saved out of a really broken culture. They experienced Jesus, but very quickly they had forgotten about Jesus. And so he says this, he says, now I would remind you brothers, brothers and sisters of the gospel I preach to you, which you received. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, uh, sorry, uh, which you received and which you stand verse two and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, the most important thing I said to you, in other words, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so Paul, this great apostle, uh, this, he was a father to this Corinthian church, he reminds them of the gospel he preached to them. Now, he's writing to Christians. He says brothers and sisters. He says they've already received the gospel. Why would he need to remind them of the gospel? And I think he needs to, the reason he needs to remind them of the gospel is he struggles with what uh, one author calls gospel amnesia. Because often, even as followers of Jesus, we forget who we are and where we're going. We lose sight of what is real outside of us uh, because of what we feel, which is inside of us. Sometimes what we feel inside feels bigger and truer than what's real outside. That God's writing a story that's real all the time. And we can tell ourselves stories that seem real, but they're not. Uh, one night I, I was having a, a campfire with my son, and, uh, and uh, he, he's seven. And so uh, we hit this space in the night where uh, him and his bud, uh, they're both eight, or both seven at the time, uh, they decide they want to start telling scary stories, and, and they kind of get the flashlight out. and They start telling scary stories, and Clive goes, Dad, I want to tell the scary story. And Again, eight-year-old like he doesn't have that that scary of an imagination. I like, go, all right, man. Like if you want to, it's probably gonna be the greatest scary story. And so he gets on the. It's his turn, and he's going. He goes, and, and, and it was really obvious scary story. Said so there was uh, three kids, and one of them's name was Clive, which is his name. <laughs> it's like, and they were, and he was uh, in the woods around a fire, and there was a and there was a shed behind. like, and there was a shed behind him, and there was a monster in the shed. Uh, and then I, I, smacked the shed behind him and he went, ah, uh, and he like jumped. And I was like, dude, you scared yourself with your own story. And it was ridiculous. Cause like, how are you going to, sc- and, and, but that's what we do all the time. We tell ourselves stories. We start freaking out. We tell ourselves we need to be in control, but we can't actually be in control. And then by trying to be in control, we hurt ourselves and others. Yeah. We tell ourselves that, that, that what defines us isn't what God thinks of us. It's what people think of us. We slave away for their approval. And their love, forgetting that we're already loved. We, we tell ourselves, um, I've always been broken. I've, I've always been, been dirty. I've always been an addict. I've always been a pervert. I've always been a liar. I've always been bitter. And I will always be this. We think that's who we need to be. And so Paul is writing to people who are in this space. Um, now, I'll argue, again, I'll argue that most of us are more like these Corinthians than we want to admit. That we, we constantly forget what is true. We lose sight of the truth regarding God's love for us and the gospel and all that Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross, and we need constant reminding. Again, I don't think Christians forget the actual facts of the gospel. I don't think you're like, man, what's a cross? I've never heard of that before. But I think we forget its implications on our life. For example, if you walk around constantly with guilt, I think you've forgotten that Jesus died to forgive you of all of your sins, past, present, and future. If you walk around striving to impress people and earn their approval, some of you guys are enslaved to that. You've forgotten that you're completely accepted by the only one whose approval matters in the gospel. When you give in to temptation and sin, you're forgetting that on the cross Jesus freed you from the power of sin. And it's not that you're not allowed to sin, it's that you don't have to sin. And then as you understand the goodness of Jesus, you don't even want to sin. But when we lose sight of that, man, we end up in that space. Paul says something similar in 2 Timothy He tells a guy who is a church planter, who is appointing elders. This guy is schooled in the gospel. This guy is a leader. And he says this to this guy. And he was mentored by the apostle Paul. And he tells him, as he's about to be executed, Paul says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Again, this seems like an odd thing to say to a young man who's clearly already a leader. But again, we, we forget this gospel. And so today I want to say this. Um, if a disciple of the Apostle Paul needed to be reminded of the gospel, how much more do we as kind of run-of-the-mill 21st century disciples of Jesus in San Diego and Cape Town need to be reminded of this? And so my big idea today is this. is that As a church, you may be missing out on the joy God is calling you to experience because of your circumstances. Because you've lost sight of the truth that matters, the gospel. You may have, for all intents and purposes, forgotten it. And when the church forgets the gospel, it's a disaster. It gets religious. It gets weird. We become hypocritical, judgmental, insecure, guilty, sad bunch of people. And I think that breaks Jesus' heart. And so today, I, I don't want to um, bust out a bunch of new ideas. I want to take you back to one big idea, the gospel. Three truths of the gospel. I just want to remind you. I'm going to do what Paul did. I want to remind you. And maybe for some of you, this will be the first time you've ever heard this, and that's, that's great. And I hope that these, these, would I want to tell you these truths. But for those of you who uh, have heard this before, please don't tune me out because you've been in church. Because so it's one thing to know something, but it's one thing to live in something. And I want to remind us to live in this today, okay? So, so a couple core truths. Number one is this. Remember that you're justified. <clears throat> Remember that you're justified. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, For our sake... He made, God the Father made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. So even though Jesus never sinned, God made him sin on the cross so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. So the idea is this, is that on the cross Jesus is punished for the sinful, broken, jacked up, messed up life that you and I live. And again, you're like, I don't sin, Andy. I promise you do. And maybe, maybe, maybe you're like, hey, I'm a pretty good person uh, I do nice things, I read the Bible, I pray, I, I, uh, I help the poor all the time, I'm mostly nice to old ladies who are crossing the road, I'm mostly that. But it's not just things you do, it's things that you, uh, it's things you think. And if you don't believe me, just imagine for a second that everyone in this room could hear a 24-hour MP3 file of your thoughts the last 24 hours. Awkward! Get weird, right? The pride, the lust, the fear, the insecurity, the anger, the jealousy. If we're honest, we, we, we struggle with that stuff. And then in our hearts, we prove we, 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 we don't love people the way that we should. And, and so, so on the cross, Jesus punished for every um, evil thing that I have said, thought, or did. But, but, and when I put my faith in him, I am credited. Uh, one theologian calls this the great exchange. I'm credited with his righteousness. That means his record, his resume, um, uh, I think you guys call what do you guys call high school again? Varsity? No, you call it high school. Okay, Durban. They, they gave me those fancy South African words. In high school, I was not a very good student. Okay, and I had a friend named Rosano Rosano, and Rosano Rosano was a really smart kid, uh, first in our class. Uh, my goal in high school was to be a decent enough uh, of a of, of, uh, athlete to uh, hang out with girls at parties, and then go to an, a, a, an average college, uh, and then basically do okay. At my job, I had very low expectations for myself. I didn't come from I didn't come from a family uh, that had any. I just I just didn't have that reality. Um, so so I kind of had kind of uh, C's in a sense, or I had middle of the road marks. Rosano Rosano had perfect marks. He literally went to Harvard, and uh, and, and and I want you to imagine for a second that that you uh, so imagine for a second that I was to trade transcripts with Rosano Rosano, and now I get all his straight A's, his perfect record. And at the same time, he, he, he gets uh, my record. Literally, like we, 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 our names were swapped at the top of the, the transcripts. And here's the thing that would happen is, um, I would then be treated the way that Rosano Rosano deserves to be treated. I would have access to things that I shouldn't have access to. I'd have entry into places I shouldn't have entry into. And when Jesus dies on the cross in our place, and he gives us his record, now the Bible says that everything that's under his feet is under my feet. That, that I share an inheritance with him. That I have access to a father that I shouldn't have an access to. That I have access to a spirit I shouldn't have access to. And so, on the cross, Jesus is punished as if he had lived my jacked up life. And when I put my faith in him, when I asked what God did on the cross to count for me, when I asked, what, when I asked God to make what Jesus did on the cross count for me, in my place, I'm given his record. And I'm now treated, he now sees me as perfect. Not because I am, but because Jesus is. He sees me as holy. He sees me as, as blameless. But again, when we forget this, we like to think that, that, we, have a, uh, that we have to justify ourselves. Right now, uh, in, in American sports, uh, it's the NBA playoffs right now, and there's a raging debate. I don't know if you guys follow American basketball, but, but who is better, LeBron James in his prime or Michael Jordan in his prime? Uh, kind of the two best players of their generations. And, and there was a game where uh, Michael Jordan scored a career-high 69 points uh, one time. And in that game, he had a teammate named Stacey King who scored one point. And they were interviewing Stacey King post-game, and they said, man, what was it like to be here as a teammate on the night that Michael Jordan uh, scored his career high? And Stacey King said, man, I will never forget the night where Michael Jordan and I scored 70 points. <laughs> now, I often think, we often think we're Michael Jordan and Jesus is Stacey King. We never say that out loud, but that's how we act. I've got to keep God happy with me. I'm doing the heavy lifting. Jesus helps me out a bit but I'm doing the heavy lifting. No, man, you, you're not even Stacey King. You cheered Jesus on. From the, you didn't even cheer him on. You booed him. And then he let you be on his team. Jesus paid our penalty and gave us his record. He justifies us. He defines us, not our sin struggles in the present, past, or the future. Again, there's no amount of prayer or Bible study or evangelism or serving the poor or obedience that can justify you or make you right with God. We obey him because we've been justified. Not to be justified, and you can be in church for years and miss this. I knew a woman who was on staff at a church, an evangelical church. Ev- evangelical means gospel person, literally. And uh, she had been in church her whole life, where they would talk about the gospel. And she was an accountant. and She was there for twenty years, and, and her daughter was in my college group. And I started preaching about grace and about the gospel, and uh, and her daughter shared with her, and her da- and you know her daughter seemed you already know this stuff, mom. Like you're, you work at the church, and. Uh, and she starts hard. She says, "You're telling me Jesus can forgive anything, and, if, and we can know for sure we're righteous and we stand before Him holy and blameless." And my friend doubt said, "Yeah, no, Mom, you can know that." And her mom said, "Now, you know, I've, I've never, I've never thought that I could know that for sure. Actually, when I was in college, you don't know this, but I had an abortion, and for thirty something years, she was in church every week." multiple times a week, and she thought that God was still angry with her, that she was still guilty for that sin. As grievous as it was, the cross covers it. It costs Jesus everything. So I just want to ask today, do you still feel guilty over one big past sin, or do you think God can't forgive you for a current struggle? I think we, you know, we wrestle with guilt, usually one, for one of two reasons. Um, one, uh, we, we, we think, I've done one thing that's just too big. The divorce, adultery, abortion, whatever it is. Uh, big moment of stealing. So you have Some big moment in your past. Um, or we have a thing that seems little to us, even though there are no little sins, and we keep struggling with it. And we go, you know, this is little, but, but it's built up. It's, there's a lot of it. We go, God can't keep forgiving me. Jesus died for all your sins, past, present, and future. So we are justified in the eyes of God, the judge, and the courtroom of heaven. But more than that happened. Because of what Jesus did in his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, he made a way for us to be adopted by God the Father. It is a good thing to be forgiven and acquitted by God the Judge, but then to be adopted into God's family is an even more precious thing. God has become our Father. In Galatians chapter 4, the Bible says this. It says, but when the time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. And so what this passage is saying is that Jesus came into the the world at the right place at the right time to redeem the wrong people. That we were broken and and, and wrong, we had rejected God, but God sends Jesus. Jesus dies, he fulfills the law, he obeys God in our place for us, to redeem us. And that when he dies on the cross, what this is saying is he didn't just die to forgive you of your sins, he died that you might be adopted by God. He signed your adoption papers in his blood. So many of us long to hear someone somewhere tell us they know us and love us. And we have one who knows us better than we know ourselves And loves us more than we love ourselves. God speaks of this reality in the Old Testament to his people. He says this in Zephaniah 3. The Lord your God is in your midst. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. There's an Old Testament scholar uh a pastoral system scholar a guy named um sam storms and he says that where it says he will quiet you by his love in hebrew that a better translation in his opinion and a lot of people think this is that is he is quieted with love for you and he will exult over you with loud singing at god um and have moments right when you have a baby that you love there's moments you're, you're quieted with love for them finally when they're quiet you can love them more right but you have a moment where you're just content and love for them that, that God the Father in Christ he's either content with you he, he, he loves you, and then we get another picture that he's exulting over you with loud singing, so uh, excited that he's singing. Have you ever had that moment maybe you're maybe you're uh you think you're by yourself, you're in the shower or you're in the car, and you get so excited you start singing and you realize someone can hear you or can see you <laughs> even worse, especially if you're in the shower. <laughs> Weird accident. So, so many of us don't rest in God's delight over us. This idea that he's singing over you. That he's overjoyed with you. That he does not love your sin, but he loves you even though you sin. He treasures you. So much that he sent Jesus to die for you. And when we don't rest in God's delight over us, we try to prove ourselves to God. One of the, uh, and to people, Really? Because um, we don't think we don't care what God thinks of us, we care more what people think of us. And I remember I, I was in the United States military uh, for for, a, for about a month, uh, <laughs> and I had asthma. And then I was kick- I wasn't in the United States military. I went to boot camp for a month, and I I got kicked out because I have asthma. It's a it's a long story. Um, also, they said you might be too tough for this, and I just I had to obey the orders. But but I went and I, and I went to basic training boot camp. Ever seen like a military movie or even a uh, you know their goal is to kind of break you down before they build you back up and they're trying to intimidate you and get you to just quit and just learn to redo life their way, to make you one unit, one machine. And so we were there, and so they start yelling at you immediately. You walk off the plane and like, you're gonna walk like that? You know, they're like angry about things no one should be no one could possibly be angry about. Literally, a guy was eating a sandwich, and the guy goes, You're gonna eat your sandwich like that, you slob? It was like, man, even if he's a little sloppy, like, are you that angry about, right? Like, how do you get, how, how are you married? Like, how do you get, how do you do anything? And uh, and we had this point in the night where it was three in the morning. We had gotten in at like one, and they're just breaking you down. You're tired. We didn't know we'd be woken up at five in the morning to dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. I mean, it's intense. They're yelling. Um, and all we want to do is go to sleep. And as we're standing there, everyone's at attention. And uh, they're kind of looking at you, inspecting you. And it's kind of like they're looking for one thing for one guy to get in trouble for. To, to Again, all for one, one for all. Break everyone down to then build them back up. And, and one of the things they tell you before you go to boot camp is here's what you're allowed to bring, here's what you're not allowed to bring, here's what you're allowed to wear, here's what you're not allowed to wear, um, and here's what you're allowed to look like and not look like. And one of the things they tell you is you cannot have long hair uh, and you cannot have any facial hair. And when I say facial hair, I mean nothing. No beard, no Durban flavor saver, no Elvis side, nothing. And, and, and so they're looking and, and they're walking and they get to this one guy. And he's got like a little bit of stubble. And they go, what is that? And I'll never forget it. And we're like, dude, what is going on? And we're standing there. And he goes, look at this. You're, 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 you're filthy. You're, you're a slob. Everyone, get your razors right now. Everyone, get in the bathroom. We're going to shave our faces. And they just start yelling, shave your whole face. Shave. And everyone's freaking out. It's 18-year-old kids. you know. Um, everyone already has cleanly shaven faces because we're, we're not dumb like him. We're ready to go. And, uh, and, and, we're, and we're shaving. It's like Texas Chainsaw Man. There's blood everywhere. It's just shaving our faces. We're frantic. We're terrified. What's, what are we going to do? We're going to be in trouble. And, and I'll never forget it. We just hear the T, the training, and start to go, what the heck? And we all look. I said heck, by the way. Oh, just relax. Uh, and we all look. And there was this guy. He just kept saying, shave your whole face. he looks over. This guy had shaved his eyebrows off. <laughs> shave your whole face. He took that literally, Seriously. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that guy gets up every morning and on his way to work, he shaves his eyebrows. Um, Why did he do that? It's weird. And he found out very quickly, eyebrows exist to keep sweat out of your eyes. When we were running, he was freshly acquainted with the purpose of eyebrows. Now, for you, why did he do that? He wanted the approval of the T.I. And when you live for the approval of people, you do ridiculous things, often sad things, things that are beneath you. And for you, it might not be shaving your eyebrows, but maybe it's it's getting retweeted or liked on social media. Maybe it's getting a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a a spouse, so you compromise your purity and you're sleeping with them. You're dating someone who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it's getting your parents, who may or may not even be alive, to be proud of you. You're constantly anxious about what they think of you. Or you want to prove what they said about you your whole life. You want to prove them wrong. Instead of wrestling in what your heavenly father says about you, you want to prove this dad wrong who doesn't even love you. And that's not, we, have, we do have a dad who loves us. And he's a, he's a father in heaven. Maybe it's about it's getting that promotion at work and you, you overwork and neglect your family trying to prove yourself. Maybe you've come really close to the edge of adultery or you've gone over it because you wanted someone to tell you you looked lovely because you hadn't heard that in a long time. You missed this reality of adoption. Tim Keller, a pastor in New York City, puts this idea of adoption this way. He says, the only person in the universe who really matters delights in you. This is good news. And the idea of God as Father might not seem like good news if you had a bad dad. I had a dad who also uh, was an alcoholic. I had a dad who was not present. I had a mom who had a lot going on. Maybe you didn't have a dad to protect you, who paid attention to you, who sacrificed for you, who bestowed identity on you, who had a vision for your life, but you do now in Jesus. So I want to remind you of that today. As you live your life, you're not living for approval or acceptance. You're living from approval and acceptance. You're not living for honor. You're living from honor. This is so, so important. So God demands perfect righteousness for salvation, but on this side of the gospel, he enjoys and delights in our imperfect Shoddy work done with mixed motives as we seek to please him as kids. That means that even when you try to obey God and it's not very good, he loves it. My daughter Olivia, she's beautiful. She's three years old. She's funny. About a year ago, she said her first words, and her first words were milk. Now, I need to tell you, she did not say milk. She said mook, which is a terrible way to say milk. I've heard milk pronounced way more beautifully. I was in uh, the UK last week, and they, they say milk very quaintly and beautifully. She says mook, but when she says mook, we're celebrating. We're jumping up and down. We're trying to get her, her brothers are like, say it again, Liv, say it again, right? Now, I don't get excited about people saying the word milk poorly, but I get, but I get excited because she's my daughter. And I know who she's going to become, and I know that she's going to say many more words. And her brothers are excited because it's, it's their sister. And in the same way, God's delight. when you try to pray, even if you do it for two minutes, you get distracted, God's pumped. He's like, that wasn't the best prayer I've ever heard in my life, but I'm not looking for prayer perfection. I'm looking for a, a son or a daughter who wants to talk to me. Does that hit your prayer life? Adoption. He loves to, my daughter. Nothing she does. She says um, she loves to show me things that matter to her. There are often times in your life where you will be in situations that seem really big to you, and you're overwhelmed by them. You need to know that you have a, a father in heaven who is also the king of the universe, and he's not overwhelmed by that stuff. But at the same time, he cares about that stuff. Not because he's overwhelmed like, by it, but because he, he's overwhelmed with his love for you. So it matters to him. Olivia, she'll take my hand and she'll say, sh- sh- show me, show me. She means show you. She wants to show me things in her room, something she built, something she did. My sons, they, they get really frantic and freak out. I was playing um, American football, the best type of football with my, uh, my son uh, in, uh, in, in, in the front yard. And he was running and he made a catch and he was running. And for him, he, he would touch the fence, kind of like a normal fence, the kind of wooden planks. And, uh, and, and to, to, to say he scored a touchdown uh, or a try maybe, I don't know, rugby talk. And he gets his finger stuck between the two pieces of wood. He's six. And when you get your, 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 your finger stuck in between two pieces of wood as a kid, the first thing you want to do is pull it back out. Bad move. And, and he starts to do that. He starts freaking out. And it hurts. He starts crying. And, and, and he mentions just said, dad, please help me. And I was thinking, his first instinct, I'm, Jesus says, if you, who are wicked, uh, know how to, if you who are wicked fathers know how to give your kids good gifts, how much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts? And in an instant, and, me as he, and I'm a pretty wicked dad, I'm not great all the time. I say things I shouldn't say, I say things with tones I shouldn't say, uh, I'm not patient all the time, um, but he knows enough about me to go, when I'm in trouble, I need to call out to my dad. Now, I didn't have that growing up, but he does. But here's what I want you to hear. You have infinitely more than that. Maybe you never had that either. You have a father in heaven who hears you. And here's what's crazy. Clive, not only was he in trouble, he got himself in trouble. Do you know that you at your lowest points, you can cry out to him and get the help you need? Because you have a father who's the king of the universe and he is not uh, overwhelmed. I think I have one minute and I have to go. Uh, um, Five? Okay, cool. Um, so I want you to know that you are justified Say You don't need to prove yourself to God. You are adopted, which means you are loved by God. and You don't need, the, you don't need other people um, to like you or love you because you're, you're loved and liked by him. God doesn't just love you, he, he likes you. Do you believe that the Father is safe to go to when you need help, even when you got yourself into that trouble? Do you really believe he delights in you? So we've been justified and our guilt's been taken by Jesus. We've been adopted in the gospel. We're now delighted in by God the Father. And lastly, we are, we are being transformed by God the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to my last point. Remember that you are being sanctified. In Romans chapter 6, verses 6-7, the Apostle Paul again writes these words. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That when Jesus died on the cross, he didn't just die to forgive you of your sins. He didn't just die that you'd be adopted by God the Father. He died that you'd be freed from the power of sin. He canceled out the power. This means you don't have to sin, and not because you're not allowed to anymore. You don't have to anymore. Jesus connects you with his Holy Spirit, It begins to transform you from the inside out. About a week ago, we went on a uh, game drive. Uh, We had some some amazing friends in in Durban that that blessed us with their generosity, and they took us to go on a game drive to to see the animals, obviously, and we had a moment where we got very close to an elephant, and it was terrifying. We were in a Land Rover, and I'm pretty sure the elephant would win in a battle with a Land Rover. We were just kind of parked. There was a, a big tree, big bush, and you could hear the elephant rustling. And my big fear was just gonna, it was going to pop out like, hi, <laughs> knock us over. Just so clear how powerful they are. And, and uh, about, uh, I don't know, about 150 years ago, 100 years ago, um, back when the circus was, was a big deal, uh, and, uh, and they, they had elephants in the circus. I don't know if you guys know this, but, um, but when elephants were, were babies, um, they would nail them down with a stake, and the stake would be big enough to hold down a baby elephant. So big enough to hold us down probably, um, but it would not hold a full-grown elephant down. But what they would do is, is when the baby was young, they would nail it down with a stake, um, and then it would learn very quickly, I can't move. I will be stuck here. I will always have a master who will tell me what to do, and that's always where I'm going to be. I am powerless to overcome this. And and, 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 and this was so effective that as uh, the elephant got older, this, this mind trick, uh, when the elephant was fully grown, flip over to Land Rover size, it was still held down by the same peg as when it was a baby. That it had about six times the strength at this point that it had here. How does that work? There were very few accidents. It worked very effectively. The elephant would only find out it had power over this stake in the ground on accident. Because they had trained the elephant, you will always be powerless. You will always have a master. You will always be controlled. There's nothing you can do about it. It did not know the strength uh, that it had. That so here's the deal. This is what the enemy does with us. This is what Satan does with you. He tells you, "Hey, you've always been an addict. You're always going to be here. You should just stay here. You're weak. You're powerless." You're a dirty girl who does dirty things. This will define you. Keep doing this. You're an angry, bitter person who people hate to be around. You will always be this. The gospel says that Jesus freed us from the power of sin. That this was true. Pre-Christ, there's nothing you can do. But in Jesus, we have been completely set free. And the only power that that stuff has over our life is when we forget that it doesn't have power anymore. I don't actually have to do this. Am I tempted? Absolutely. I'm sure there was times the elephant would forget. Oh yeah, oh, yeah I, can, I can leave. And I think for some of you, I, I just get a picture. I had this prophetic picture when, when I was younger in my faith. And it was of me sitting down uh, in a jail cell. I was wrestling deeply with lust, with pornography, with anger uh, early on in my faith. And I just had this picture that I was sitting in a jail cell. And, uh, and there was the key to the jail cell, inside the jail cell, sitting there. All I had to do was turn it and walk out. And I had this picture that I just didn't believe that I could do that. And then I had a picture that Jesus showed up, and he said, hey, let's turn the key. I, I literally died to give you this key. And, and, and then the door opened, and, and he just said, in a very chill Jesus way, he said, let's get out of here, bud. Let's get out of here. This isn't where you live anymore. You forget that, and you live with a, with a, with a prisoner-slave mentality, but that's not who you are. You are set free from the power of sin. So do you believe that you're being transformed? And by the way, it's slow, though. Theologians call this progressive sanctification, means it happens over time, there's this guy in the Bible named the Apostle Peter, and uh, he's hanging out with Jesus, and, he's, he's, he, and he, he's a big show-off, he's a big deal, man's man, fisherman, pride, chest out, cuss words in the mouth, ready to roll, competitive, and he starts out, and he wants a, a piece of glory, he's showing off, he says, and he says, Jesus, I'll never deny you. You ever have a friend like that? I'll have your back until it gets crazy, and it gets crazy, they're nowhere to be found. That was Peter. Because I'm with you, Jesus goes. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows. He denies Jesus. I've often wondered. I, I was recently in the Arab world with uh, some people who are Muslim believers and reaching Muslim believers, and I thought, if I was in a space where I would be persecuted for my faith, could I, could I, could I stand and, and, and stick with Jesus? If, if I knew physical torture, the physical torture of my family was on the table, would I deny Jesus? We know what Peter would do. He denies Jesus. He's not the martyr right away. But then Jesus meets him on the beach and he restores him. He goes, even though you denied me, I'm not denying you. And and he moves towards you. Can you imagine looking Jesus in the eyes in his hour of need and going, I don't know him. And walking away. What a punk. But Jesus goes, he's in development. Not only am I not going to send that guy to hell, not only am I not going to reject him forever, I'm going to make him an apostle. And then, and, then, and then he becomes an apostle, and then he preaches at Pentecost. 3,000 men get saved, probably five, 6,000 men, women, and children, the way they used to keep records historically at that time. And then you know what happens with Peter. You're like, yo, he, he got it. He's, right? But, but 10 years later, he's denying the gospel again. And Paul, in the book of Galatians, has to confront him. He becomes racist, and he, he starts saying that you have to obey the law, hanging out with guys who say you have to obey the law to be justified. And then Paul has to confront him. And then again, again, a guy that's a racist guy who who denies the gospel and says says that Jesus died for nothing, I wouldn't let that guy be a greeter at my church. God goes, we're going to have to work this out, deal with your heart, and get you back on the the apostolic train. So over and over again, he wants to stand out. He wants to be a big deal. He wants to be in the place of glory. He he wants to show off, and he fails. He wants people to like him, so he starts hanging out with these weird religious guys. But eventually, Peter would be crucified upside down with his wife. He didn't want to be a big deal at one point, and he stopped running. And he let Jesus transform him over 20, 30 years. Some of you guys, you've been a Christian a year, and you're frustrated with yourself. You're impatient. I want to be different. I would do this quicker. I shouldn't struggle with this anymore. It's a journey, and it's God's journey. He's ta- he knows the future you, the complete you that looks just like Jesus. And, and you need to do everything you can. To partner with him and becoming who he wants you to be. But it's going to take time. A lot of you guys, imagine if my one-year-old daughter, she's she's like, why can't I say Why can't? She couldn't even do that she can't talk. Milk, milk, I want to say milk, I want to say. It's like, sweetie, you're going to be saying milk fine in a year. You're going to be, does that make sense? So again, some of you guys, you're one years old and you, you, you're frustrated. You're not like a 30-year-old in the faith. Do you believe that you are being transformed? The last thing I'll say is this. I know in South Africa you guys love tea. You know, the whole, I just drink coffee. I had two, five glasses of tea my whole life. Four of them were on this trip. It's only because there wasn't coffee available. But one of the things that's interesting about tea, if you take it black, is when a tea bag goes in a glass of, uh, of, of water, when it goes in the water, water, when it goes in there, everything to turn that water into tea is inside the bag already. It progressively takes time To become what you want it to be. You're that same way. You're in the process of brewing. But you will one day, you'll look like Jesus one day. Everything that you need to look like Jesus has been given to you in the new birth. But it's happening. So you will be transformed. Your pride, your anger, your jealousy, your lust, your greed, your fear, your insecurity, your addiction. Whatever your thing is, Jesus died to set you free from it. And one day you will be free from it. And so in closing, I want to ask this. What aspect of this gospel have you forgotten? Or if you've never believed it before, what seems too good to be true, even though it is? Is it that you're no longer guilty, you're justified? Is it that you're delighted in, you're adopted and loved and cherished by the only Father who matters? Is it that you can actually change and be transformed? So I I know I've got to go. I'm going to hand over to to, to Mark and the team. Um, But man, do you really believe Jesus gave you all of this? And I just want to pray the Holy Spirit. Uh, Can I pray real quick? Holy Spirit, I ask that you you, in the hearts of the men and women here, you would remind us of these truths. It wouldn't just be a man saying them, but you would make them felt, you would make them real, you would make them beautiful, you would make them true, you would make them powerful, you would make them fresh. For those who have never believed, I think about uh, Lydia in Acts chapter 16, it says the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message. Would you open people's hearts right now to this message? Do you fill them with faith? with love, with joy, with a hope that comes from believing these things? Would people be able to walk out today saying, I am forgiven, I have a father, and I'm going somewhere beautiful? In Jesus' name, amen.